Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the 23rd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and today we've got a complete preview of the East-West Shrine Game, the first major postseason scouting event this year in the lead-up to the 2019 NFL Draft. As he has been the past 12 years, our Tony Pauline will be on hand in St. Petersburg, Florida for all the action and all the practices. You can expect full coverage of the event over at DraftAnalyst.com including podcasts every night to wrap up the action. So tell us, Tony, why is the Shrine Game one of your favorite pre-draft scouting events, and why is it so important? Well, for starters, I love St. Pete. I mean, it's a nice little area. I'm going to be leaving the cold of New York. We usually have good weather there, knock on wood. It's very laid back, and it's a real scouting event. I think more and more of the Senior Bowl is turning into a media event, which we'll get into later. I'm sure we'll get into next week. Uh, But this is more low-key. Uh, and it's important because you get a lot of guys at the Shrine game, players that we're going to talk about, who were not even ranked by NFL scouts, and then really step up in a big way and, and turn out to be relatively early draft picks. P.J. Hall of Sam Houston State, perfect example. Guy was not given a grade by scouts entering the season, was phenomenal at the uh, Shrine game, went on to play a little bit at the Senior Bowl. I believe he was a second-round pick last April. So, you know, you, you do have your Toronto Armsteads and Jimmy Garoppolo's guys that are second-day picks who come in with grades and really wow everybody. But you're looking at a lot of, if they're not second-day picks, you're looking at guys that are third-day selections that could surprise at the next level, add depth onto a roster. This year's roster I really like a lot. With the Senior Bowl and the NFL Combine really turning into more of a media event rather than just scouting events, the Shrine Game, I, I believe, is becoming more and more important to the scouting process. Now, to get you ready for next week, we'll look at each position from quarterback to defensive back, discussing the more prominent names on the roster and, and what we're hoping to see from them next week. But before we do that, Tony, what are your initial feelings after looking at the Shrine rosters? This is one of the best defensive Shrine rosters that I have seen for a long time. And as you've said, I've been going to these practices for a decade or more. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the players at the top, and a lot of these guys, you have to wonder why they're not playing at the Senior Bowl. Jordan Brelford, who was a fourth-year junior, was a late add-on. He's a guy, a terrific pass rusher, college defensive end, may project to outside linebacker, who a lot of eyes are going to be on him. Landis Durham, Texas A&M, again, top 42 guy. Another terrific pass rusher, Jamal Peters, cornerback from Mississippi State, Michael Jackson, cornerback from Miami, Florida. It goes on and on and on. I love the defensive talent. I also think there are a lot of sleepers at the receiver position that we'll be talking about. So overall, the strength of this roster is on defense, and it's a roster that I think is going to have early impact. When I say early impact, I mean second-day impact for the upcoming draft. Now, we'll start with the quarterbacks, as you kind of alluded to at some of the other positions, also at the signal caller spot. There are more intriguing names than usual. A lot of that is thanks to a strong senior bowl crop. One name that's going to be there at the East-West Shrine game, I'm going to leave to you because I know you have some thoughts on him. But I want to quickly discuss Boise State's Brett Rippon and Old Miss's Jordan Tayamu. Now, Rippon is a guy we've discussed before. He has NFL bloodlines. He's the typical game-managing type of quarterback. 
doesn't have great arm strength or accuracy, but he's a solid leader. He's got good intelligence. He processes information well, and he's a guy that's going to impact the later portion of the draft on day three. Now, Tayamu, he's kind of the opposite of Rippon in many ways. He's smaller. He lacks an ideal frame. He's kind of thin, but he's athletic. He has good accuracy. He can, he's capable of leading receivers into yards after the catch. His throws to the sideline are often dropped in perfectly between the defender and the sideline. He has enough arm to hit the deep passes when necessary. On the other hand, with him, he needs to work on mental processing, reading coverage, and just his overall consistency as a quarterback. Tony, how do you feel about these guys and any of the other signal callers that are going to be in St. Pete this week? Yeah, I would agree with you on both of them, especially Rippian. I mean, Rippian was a guy who wasn't even graded by scouts, more of a game manager. That quarterback that you mentioned that I was going to talk about is, of course, Easton Stick of the uh, title-winning North Dakota State Division 1AA, as we used to call it, who will be who will be throwing at the Shrine Game. A lot of people thought he deserved a Senior Bowl invite. There was some, I don't want to say if there was questions, but, you know, when Trace McSorley went down during the bowl game with the foot injury, People such as myself thought Easton Stick would slide right in there. I've, I've found out that McSorley's foot injury actually is not that bad. It's not a broken foot at all, so he's ready to go. But focusing on Stick, I mean, he's a terrific game manager. He's not Carson Wentz. He doesn't have Carson Wentz's height, size, or arm strength, but he's a guy who makes good decisions in the pocket, has a good feel for the position. What I'm going to be looking for with Stick is when it comes time and they do the one-on-ones, can he drive the ball downfield? Does he have any kind of arm strength? So it's, it's a big uh, big performance, or it's a big week for Stick, who I think would be a senior bowl substitute if one of the senior bowl quarterbacks go down. I'm also going to be very interested to see David Blau of Purdue. I mean, here's a guy who wasn't graded by scouts coming into the season, wasn't even the starting quarterback, wasn't supposed to be the starting quarterback at Purdue, but he showed a lot of skill throughout the season, leading Purdue to uh, into the postseason, into a bowl game. I mean, he's a terrific short and intermediate range passer. He makes excellent decisions. Very accurate with his passes. Decent downfield thrower. I want to see his height because there are no real measurements on David Blau. Is he over six foot one? Really a, a heady quarterback. But I, I think whether it's Easton Stick or David Blau or, or, or Ripian of Boise State, overall you're looking at a day three prospects and I believe a lot of number three quarterbacks for the next level. Now we'll move on and take a look at the running backs. Two guys I'm watching. Ty Johnson burst onto the scene at Maryland as a sophomore in 2016. Over 1,000 yards on just 110 carries. He's a high yards per carry type of guy. A big play back with top end speed. But he lost his job this year. He missed a few games due to injury and overall has minimal production as a receiver both this year and in the past. So he has an opportunity here to prove, A, that he can catch passes out of the backfield if he's capable of doing so. And B, that he's fully healthy and you know possibly a potential late day three pick. The other guy I'm looking at is Divine Ozigbo out of Nebraska. He had a breakout season with 1,082 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns. He's a bigger back at 235 pounds, but he has good acceleration in and out of his cuts. He has solid vision. He waits for his blocks to develop well. He can contribute both as a receiver and as a space player. Tony, do you have any thoughts on Johnson and Ozigbo, and who else are you looking at at the running back spot? Yeah, when you watch Ozigbo, he doesn't play like a 230-pound back. I mean, he's got some exceptional quickness. As you said, he can make defenders miss. He's a guy who can bounce around piles rather than just run over defenders. Uh, and he's a decent receiver out of the backfield. I agree with you what you said about Johnson. I'm told he is healthy. Johnson, if, if he had remained healthy during the season and played up to par, he's probably a senior bowl invite. But this is a good way for him to get it back on track. The guy I want to watch is Marquis Young. 
another one of the skilled players that's going to be coming out of that Massachusetts program. 5'11 and a half, 211 pounds, exceptional quickness, good burst through the hole, a feisty back that runs north-south, works to get as much yardage from every carry as possible. Decent receiver out of the backfield. Really a three-down ball carrier who was given six-round grades entering the season, and he's played to that or better. In my opinion, Marky Young is one of the hidden gems in this year's running back class, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him next week. Now we'll slide on over to the pass catchers, where we have a mix of players from big-name programs and some small-school sleepers among the receivers and the tight ends. Auburn's Ryan Davis is a guy who catches a lot of passes but is mostly used on screens and short passes as kind of a gadget player in that Tigers offense. George's Terry Godwin took a backseat this season. He was their number two receiver last year behind Javon Wims, who was drafted late in day three last year by the Chicago Bears. He was ahead of Miko Hardman and Riley Ridley last season. Not so much this season. He's a guy with a slight slight frame. He's not particularly explosive, but he's a polished, finished type of product. Technically sound. He should excel in the practice scenarios at St. Pete. If he can't do that, it's definitely a bad sign for any potential NFL future as a depth player. Keyshawn Johnson from Fresno State and Cody Thompson from Toledo are also intriguing potential day three picks. Demarcus Lodge from Old Miss is a player that many expected to see at the Senior Bowl. Instead, he's going to be here in St. Pete. He's going to team up with his teammate and quarterback, Jordan Tayamu. The big sleeper that I kind of alluded to in the lead-in here is Jonathan Duhart. He was a Week 5 riser over at DraftAnalyst.com in early October, broke a bone in his foot in the second game of the 2017 season, missed the rest of the year, came back this season, continued to put up big numbers like he always has at Old Dominion. He has great size at six foot two and a half, 215 pounds, reliable hands. So he's definitely a player to watch. And then looking quickly at the tight ends, we have a couple guys to watch there. Andrew Beck out of Texas, more of a blocker than a receiver, but an intriguing prospect nonetheless. And Kendall Blanton out of Missouri, a guy you mentioned before the bowl game, once we knew that Albert Okwebenam wasn't going to end up playing, Blanton played pretty well in that game. So I'm intrigued to see what you think about how he played, what you're looking for from him and some of the other pass catchers here in St. Pete. Yeah, I mean, just just some mention on, on three of the smaller school guys that you've talked about. Keyshawn Johnson of Fresno State, a guy that was given street free agent grades by scouts entering the year. If you go back to, I believe it's October of 2017, he was a riser on my board. A guy who's got average size, average speed, but is just a terrific football player, an outstanding pass catcher. Shows himself to be a good vertical receiver, although scouts believe he's going to run at the high end of the four fives. You know, again, when they go through those one-on-ones and they're running go patterns, we want to see if Keyshawn Johnson can get deep separation. Similar situation with Cody Thompson, very workmanlike, and a guy who's very reliable, a real good football player, but not a great athlete. I do like Duhart. Again, I was very high on him off of the 2017 film. I thought he came back real well this year. And as you said, someone you got to keep an eye on. I'm going to be watching two of the bigger receivers, two of the more possession-type receivers. Roquavian Tarver of Utah State entered the season with six-round grades from scouts. It's a little bit disappointing. Six, three and a half, 215 pounds, runs in the high four fives. But at the top of his game, he's a game-controlling uh, wideout. I also want to watch Jesper Horstead of Princeton, a guy who I've watched the past two years and I've had rated as a priority free agent the past two years. A little bit larger than Tarver, goes 6'3", 222 pounds, not as fast, but a guy that really can control games. And, you know, a year ago, it was Justin Watson out of Penn, who was a fifth-round pick from the Ivy League, who really turned head. So we'll see if Horstead can do the same thing. As far as the tight ends, 
I'm excited to see uh, Cano Dillon. I graded Cano Dillon as a priority free agent when he was at South Florida. He transferred to Oregon primarily because Mitchell Wilcox was going to get the majority of snaps at tight end at South Florida. And Mitchell Wilcox just announced he's going to return to school. He's a top 100 pick at the tight end position. Kano Dillon's more of a blocker, but he's got some athleticism and he's got uh, decent hands. And as you mentioned, Kendall Blanton. I mean, here is a guy that really looks the part, yet only plays to it occasionally. Never really won the starting job at Missouri. But if he has a good week of practice at the Shrine game, he can make a big move up draft boards the way Eric Salbert of Drake did two years ago. Moving to the offensive line now, and one name stands out to me. That's NC State's Tyler Jones. He's a player that you're higher on than scouts by several rounds. He has good movement skills and range, nice footwork off the edge, probably ends up at guard due to a lack of height, but he's intriguing nonetheless. A couple other notable names that we have in the trenches, Justin School from Vanderbilt. He's got good size, but he's an average athlete. Uh, He's a strong run blocker. And Pittsburgh's Alex Bookser, a small area mauler on the inside, a player we discussed leading up to conference championship week. Thoughts on these names and any others on the offensive line, Tony? Yeah, well, I mean, Tyler Jones was a disappointment last year, and and he's going to drop. If you watch his sophomore, even his junior film, he looked terrific at left tackle. Just seemed very stiff last year and didn't elevate his game. Three guys I'm watching. First guy from Villanova, Ethan Greenridge. Uh, the offensive tackle who I project to guard at the next level. You know, the Shrine game has been kind to small school offensive linemen. Greenridge received a draftable grade coming into the year. He's a big, tough, slug-it-out type of lineman, good in a small area. You're going to want to see how he does against the quicker pass rushers, uh, names we'll get to in a little while. He has a lot on the line. I do like Alec Eberly of Florida State, the center, a little bit. I liked him early in his career as a, when he was a redshirt freshman. Never really elevated his game. He's a smaller guy, a zone-blocking type of prospect, but someone I'm going to be watching. And one guy I, I really like a lot is Leonard Bonner of Arkansas State, a guy who is a, a left tackle but is going to play guard at the next level. Very mobile. He's a wide-body blocker, a guy who takes up a lot of room, 6'3 half, 320, 325 pounds, but he moves exceptionally well on his feet. Shows the ability to slide, shows the ability to get out to the second level. I don't expect Bonner to make a huge rise up draft boards the way Teron Armstead did at Shrine Practices in 2013. But I absolutely believe he has the ability to get people talking about his next level potential. Now, before we dive into the defensive prospects to watch in St. Pete, please be sure to support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you ask a question in your review, we'll do our best to answer it on the show if there's time at the end. You can also tweet us questions at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show as well. Now we'll shift gears to the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive line, where we have some interesting guys to discuss here. The first guy I want to bring up is Ricky Walker from Virginia Tech. He's an intriguing three-technique gap penetrator. Despite low sack numbers, he does make an impact in the backfield against the run. Not the most sturdy of defensive linemen, but does hold up pretty well against blocks, so it'll be nice to see what he can do in this kind of all-star setting. You mentioned Landis Durham earlier in the show from Texas A&M. He's an athletic edge rusher with good pursuit speed. He bends the edge nicely. The Shrine staff will likely use him in a three-point stance and over tackle to see kind of where he fits best, and it'll be good to judge his potential NFL fit off of that usage. Anything you want to add on those guys or anybody else that you like, Tony? 
Yeah, and, and the thing about these all-star games is what they do is they use players in different positions. They move them around. So it's going to be interesting with Landis Durham, not only if they just use him standing over tackle, but do they have him run any coverage drills? Is he asked to cover tight ends or running backs when they do those one-on-ones? So you get an idea. Is he proficient making plays moving in reverse as well as just going straight ahead and pinning his ears back and, and uh, rushing the passer. A lot of guys on the defensive line I'm going to be watching. First is Michael Dogby of Temple. You know, Temple, through its history, has had guys that really weren't even on the scouting radar before the season started. And then by the end, by the time the draft day comes, uh, their senior year, their draft picks. Dogby could be one of them. He's a smaller guy, has kind of a funky build, but I think he's going to be a terrific three-technique tackle at the next level. Very quick off the snap. Plays with great fundamentals and great pad level. Uses his hands well. He's got to get a little bit stronger. All too often, he's tied up at blocks at the point of attack. But someone who I think could be a reserve three-technique tackle on a four-man line. Two small school pass rushers that you're going to have to keep close watch on. B.J. Blunt from McNeese State. 20 tackles for loss and 11 sacks last year. Marcus Jones of Angelo State. Now, check these numbers out from last year. 84 tackles, 36.5 tackles for loss. 17.5 sacks, 17 quarterback hurries, four forced fumbles. Also had 10 and a half sacks as a junior in 2017. Neither of these guys were graded by scouts entering the year, but they were just explosive small school pass rushers. So again, you want to see when they're going up against the Green Ridges from Villanova's or the Bonners of of, uh, Arkansas State, even Tyler Jones, are they able to exploit them? You know, is it just a matter of they were able to dominate a small a small school level of competition or are they legitimate next level prospects? David Bass of uh, Missouri Western is a guy who I remember during uh, 2013 Shrine Game practices really dominated the action. A smaller guy came out of a three point stance and really turned some heads, was a fifth round pick in that year's draft, had a productive five year career. So we'll see what happens with B.J. Blunt of McNeese State as well as Marcus Jones of Angela State. My final guy on the defensive line would be Daniel Wise, someone of Kansas, a defensive tackle who, like Dogby, projects as a three-technique lineman at the next level, maybe more as a, as a traditional, can also play as a traditional defensive tackle because he, he is stronger than Dogby. But here's a guy that you know a lot of people thought should have been in a senior bowl. Some people project as a potential uh, second-day pick somewhere late in round three. Someone who, despite the fact that Kansas has been one of the worst programs in the nation the past three years, this guy comes to play every Saturday and constantly made plays on the field. I really believe Daniel Wise will have a chip on his shoulder next week as he believes uh, he should be at the Senior Bowl and with good reason. Now, a couple of linebackers I want to focus on. Both of them are on the East squad. The first one is BYU's Sione Takitaki. We talked to him in our bowl preview segments uh, a couple of podcasts ago. He had 12 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks in 2017 when he was playing as an undersized defensive end. This year, he moved to linebacker. He had 118 tackles and nine tackles for loss. He's a good athlete. He's effective as a pass rusher from his time as a defensive end. He also plays disciplined against the run. He did sit out the 2016 season due to off-field issues, however, so that's something that NFL teams are definitely going to look into if they're considering him with a late-day pick. But he's now married. He seemingly has gotten everything together over the past couple years, so that'll be something that NFL teams are definitely going to look into with him. 
And we also have Khalil Hodge out of Buffalo, who's a community college transfer several seasons ago and has really put up massive statistical production last three seasons. He has over 400 total tackles. He's an instinctual player. He plays downhill. He's good in pursuit. He has the speed to get out to the flanks. A lot of scouts feel that he lacks NFL speed. Tony, I know you disagree. After breaking down the Buffalo film, I did downgrade Hodge to a a fifth-round selection. I still think he's going to be a very good player at the next level as a run-stuffer, more of a two-down defender on the inside of a 3-4 linebacker, but I would have to agree after watching him, he does not have the long speed. But he's instinctive, he's tough, and he's always willing to get involved in the action. One linebacker I'm really excited to see play is Justin Hollins of Oregon, a player who I believe is really underrated. He's athletic, he's long. They really didn't use him as a traditional pass rusher, played uh, sort of outside in space, which he can do, but I think he's going to be a very good 3-4 outside linebacker at the next level. If you look at his stats compared to his much more ballyhooed teammate, Jalen Jelks, Hollins got the better of it. Hollins had 64 tackles compared to 56 for Jelks. Hollins had 6.5 sacks compared to 3.5 for Jelks. And a lot of people graded Jelks as a first-round pick. You and I talked about him multiple times during the season on this podcast that he basically was just never lived up to the headlines. So really, during the first part of the season, while all the talk from Oregon was about Jalen Jelks, it was Justin Hollins who outplayed him. Now, the secondary in St. Pete is full of several players who we've discussed in previous episodes. The first of those is Mississippi State's Jamal Peters. Now, he's a guy with great size and length at six foot two, 218 pounds. He's a physical corner. He flashes ball skills at times, but they haven't consistently been there. So it'll be nice to see if he can put together several consistent days of practice down there. Also, Blaze Brown of Troy, a guy we highlighted before the bowl game against Buffalo. He played a big part in holding Anthony Johnson to five catches and 67 yards in that game. He was the main guy covering Johnson and overall outplayed the much-hyped Buffalo receiver. He's a smooth, intelligent corner with good quickness and acceleration. He's got good ball skills, as seen in his 12 career interceptions. And also in that bowl game, he blocked a field goal. And, you know, while you don't want to look at one play like that and say that's going to make a player, he's just an all-around playmaker. He finds his way around the ball, and plays like that really put the stamp on that. We also have Montre Hardage out of Northwestern. He has good size and athleticism. He's a player who's effective closing on plays in front of him, good when he's got the action that he can see in zone coverage. There's some other big names in St. Pete as well. Michael Jackson, who you mentioned earlier, Kentucky's Derek Beatty. Both of them are on the east side of things. Tony, break down the secondary for us as you see it. Just want to talk about Blaze Brown from Troy for a second. Scouts graded him as the number three senior cornerback in the nation before the season began. He's a guy who's got a lot of upside, but he's a lot. He's very inconsistent in his game. We'll be watching two safeties. I know Taylor Rapp gets uh, most of the action or most of the talk out of Washington. I'm a big fan of JoJo McIntosh. I think he's underrated. More of a downhill between the numbers type of uh, safety, but a hard hitter who, who intimidates people. I also like Tyree Canill of Michigan. A little bit smaller, but a smart, disciplined guy. More of a dime back at the next level. Chris Johnson of North Alabama came into the season with a fourth-round grade. Didn't have the senior campaign that scouts had hoped. He's now great as an undrafted free agent. He's got a lot riding on the line here. Delvin Randall of Temple, fifth-round grade entering the season, but he presently is also stamped as an undrafted uh, free agent. There are a lot of defensive backs in this game who presently have lower draft grades as compared to when they entered the season. You know, the guys I mentioned have a lot to prove and a lot riding on the line. And that's it for episode number 23 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, 
Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to send us questions to answer on the show as well. We'll have new shows for you after each day of Shrine practice, so keep an eye out for those and head over to draftanalyst.com for everything NFL Draft and this upcoming week, everything Shrine Game. On behalf of Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi signing off for today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.